Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning. Can we greet our streaming family? Put your hands together. Welcome. Hello, Warners. Hello, everybody. Well, I hope you're ready. Uh, get your seatbelt on. We're going to be talking about Macedonian clashes, part three. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare today. Are you aware that you're in a battle? Anybody aware? All right. Well, we're going to look at Samaria today, and we're going to look at the ministry of Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see that ideas have consequences. That's one principle we're going to go over today. And we're going to go over the fact that whenever you go to new levels, you deal with new devils. Did you know when the gospel began to be uh, moved from the east to the west, everywhere Paul went in his first missionary journey, in his second missionary journey, there was spiritual warfare. Have you been sensing any pushback? on what you want to do in advancing for the kingdom. Well, we don't see demons in every grapefruit. I want to lead off with that. Not everything's a devil. In fact, most everything we do to ourselves is 90% our responsibility. But to deny the reality of what we call the excluded middle, that realm of demons, that realm of angels, that realm of the supernatural, to deny what's called the excluded middle is to be blind with regard to the spiritual things of God. We are advancing in the kingdom, and we are going to run into the same things that the apostles ran into. There is a wonderful paper done by missiologist Paul Hybert years ago, and it was called The Excluded Middle. And what he points out is in Western Christianity, in the Western world, we sort of have a God, angels, devil view, and then a materialistic view, that we have two tiers with regard to reality. But there's an excluded middle. There's the third category that deals with the existence of angels, the devil, demons, and the supernatural at a daily level. It's called the, it's called the middle level, the excluded middle. Sorry, the excluded middle. And what happens is in the West, even in our seminaries, we're taught to dismiss the devil, angels, the demonic. It's just sort of, you know, whatever. And we formulate our Christian presentation of the gospel. Now, if you take that kind of Western presentation to Haiti or Nigeria, good luck. Or India, good luck. Because there is a whole excluded middle that's missing from our theology involving spiritual warfare, clashes between demons in our world. Now, when you go to Nigeria, they've got a full-orbed view of the excluded middle. These people know that you can be saved and, 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 and be assured you're going to heaven, but on a day-to-day -day basis, these people deal with spiritual realities we don't even acknowledge in the West. I've been there. And when you go to preach your left brain, neck up, reasonable gospel without signs and wonders and power, you get nowhere. And they can tell when a Western preacher comes over to Nigeria. That's what they thought I was. They thought, oh, God, that's what we need, an old, bigger, whiter, fatter preacher with his total dismissal of the, the excluded middle. Well, I was a little bit ahead of him because I have an excluded middle in my theology. 
Now, you say, Craig, what, what, what are you talking about? Let's move on to our text today. We're going to be talking, uh, we've been talking about the Python spirit. We've been in Acts chapter 16. And uh, if you've been following with us, we have been looking at a specific manifestation of the Python spirit. And if you look at your notes today, I finally gave you a note readout. I've been preaching without doing the notes, and I know many of you wept. And I know the, the crowd has been uh, so maddened that I, yeah, Sandra, Sandra probably, th thank God I'd shut up a little bit. But I just want to go over just a, a, an overview of the Pythonic spirit here that we're dealing with. Fifteen traits of a python spirit. Pythons are constrictors. They strangle and coil their food to kill it. The python spirit gets close to the victim through flattery. The python spirit demands attention. The python spirit loves to be seen and heard. It places itself always near the center. The python spirit loves to be important and in control. The python spirit is always tied to a monetary motive. What is this? A little girl was following Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And she was saying, these are prophets of the Most High God who show unto us the way of salvation. These are prophets of the Most High God. And she had a ventriloquial voice, so it was weird. She was like going, these are prophets of the Most High God that show unto us the way of salvation. And Paul finally turns around and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the devil came out. Well, as soon as that devil came out of this girl, it was called a python spirit, a spirit of divination. And we looked at python. A python doesn't kill you with one viper bite. It coils and it's devoted to choking the air out of you. Ever felt choked by depression and a funk that comes over your life where it's almost impossible for you not to think of dying or, or that you're caught, that you're stuck, that you can't advance, that you can't move forward. Well, we've been looking at this spirit of Python. Apollo supposedly killed this guardian of the Oracle of Delphi, and by killing it, uh, the Python spirit still remained, and that, that was the spirit that would possess these Pythian oracles, they were called, these virgin girls who would sit in Delphi on the tripod, which was sort of a mockery of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. They would sit, and this spirit of Python, literally of Apollo, would, would violate them, and they would go into frenzied, and then a ventriloquial voice, and then there would be information that would come out. Now, you've been follow, if you've been following with us, we taught you that the devil does not do anything supernatural. He's a master magician and a super scientist. He manipulates spatial dimensions. Everything he does makes sense. Invisible boys and girls could learn a lot about you walking around your house. They know what drawer you keep your underwear in. They know the private conversations you're having on the telephone. They know where your furniture was purchased. So invisible boys and girls could give accurate information to others in a way that spun a little bit, and you'd start thinking they know everything, right? That they're God. That's what happens. When you flirt with tarot cards, when you flirt with information that you want to get from someone other than God, you're dealing with demons that are very deceptive, very subtle, and they're master Sherlock Holmes. They can deduce things about you. They don't know the future nor, any more than you do. But they do have an advanced, seated place as invisible boys and girls where they could get information in a way much speedier than you could. In the ancient world, it would take weeks to find out if your wife had had her baby. But they can 
demons are not limited by the spatial constraints we are. So they could find out that baby was born and just rush information to you before it got to you. And you'd think, oh, my God, they know the past. They know the present. They must know the future, right? Well, it's all deception. But here's the point. Whenever we see in the book of Acts, and I'm just going to do an overview today. Whenever you see the gospel advance, you see a clash of spiritual warfare. Every time. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Remember Jesus originally in Acts 1.8 said, you preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And what did the disciples do? The apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. They disobeyed Jesus directly. Doesn't that warm the cockles of your heart to realize these people were so out of... You don't look that bad in the mirror, do you, after hearing that? They stayed for about a decade in Jerusalem when God said, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world, start in Jerusalem, but get out, move on. And they wouldn't. So God raised up a guy named Saul of Tarsus, breathing out threatenings against the church, and used Saul as the fire to persecute his people. So they would leave Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria. Well, there turns out to be a big revival in Samaria. I don't know if you remember Samaria. Samaria, what the Samaritans were sort of the half-blooded Jews. They were very hated. Uh, In 722 B.C., when the ten northern tribes were taken by Assyria into uh, bondage, Um, the people that were left over sort of interbred and intermarried with pagans and brought their idolatry in, and this mixed breed of people show up at the time of Jesus as the despised Samaritans. They weren't Gentiles, but they weren't Jews, but they were just, had nothing to do with the Jews, and Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with one another, right? So whenever you see Jesus, remember in John chapter 4, he goes to Samaria, where no Jew would go. They would go around any any land mass, to avoid going through Samaria because even the ground was unclean. A Samaritan, if their shadow hit you, you were unclean. There was a hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? So they were just sort of uh, always out. It's a long uh, history, but I just want you to get a feel. The Samaritans were infiltrated by idolatry. Their teaching was weird. They had false teaching when it came to Jehovah God. They had a false temple built on Mount Gerizim. They didn't like the one in Jerusalem. They used to call that a dung hole. And they called their temple on Mount Gerizim the temple of God. So their teaching was strange. And remember when Jesus met the woman of Samaria, what was her primary issue? She liked to sleep around a lot. So there's a sexual component that you get. And when they wanted to insult Jesus... They said he is a Samaritan that has a devil. They said he is a sexually mad, false teaching, weirdo, idolater. You couldn't offend anyone anymore than to call our blessed Lord a Samaritan with a devil. Well, guess what? Those Samaritans had false teaching, and they did believe the teaching of devils, and the whole area was devoted to sexual false teaching. It's just a strange Samaritan spirit. So the whole funk over Samaria, Jesus went there, and he won this one woman to Christ, and she brings the whole city out, says, come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. There was a strange spirit associated with the Samaritans, just hanging like pig pen, a cloud. You know, spiritually in areas, there are principalities, powers, wicked spirits that rule over jurisdictions. It's like a pig pen cloud over a city. Did you know when you go into a city and you're sensitive, you can sense the dominant spirits 
in, at work. When I was over in Europe, it's funny, you get into England and you can go every few miles, you hit another little town ship. And I could just feel different funk on different towns. That's spiritual warfare. That's the excluded middle. That's the funk that's real, and you've got to be aware of it because when you seek to advance now in your life, you're going to get hit back against. But it's good to know what the name is of that which is hitting back. So we're talking about this python spear. I just want you to get a view. This demonic entity wants to choke your air out because your air involves your worship which is lethal to the python spirit. Your air involves preaching the truth to one another, the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel to people who have never heard. If he can cut off your air, cut off your pipes, then he can cut off the worship, the preaching of the word, and the sharing of your testimony. But he loves to do it slow over time, just like all addiction. You're dying over time. Not one viper bite. No, no, no. It's too, he wants to be subtle. You, you, the, the constrictors, they, they choke your air out. Their intention is to remove your voice and your air. And over time, we see this. And notice that Python spirit tried to infiltrate the church. It met at the prayer meeting. It was going to go in. I, I've run into these Python spirits my entire ministry, 50 years. They're always hanging around the prayer room and the worship team. Prayer room and worship team. You get some funky person in the prayer room that's giving you accurate information. These are prophets of the Most High God who show unto us. By the way, that was not an affirmation of Paul. In the Greek language, she was saying, you are prophets of the Most High God. That was a phrase to the Jew that meant Jehovah. But to her listeners, the Python spirit, it just meant Zeus. It just meant one God among many. It was a polytheistic comment. You know, these, these are prophets. And it says that show unto us a way of salvation. There's no direct article in the Greek. So they were, they were giving an inclusive gospel. These are just guys, you know, of, of Zeus, and they're showing us a way, and hey, aren't we all inclusively just right about everything we believe? Huh? You've got a way, we've got a way, they've got a way. Hey, that's right. Paul discerned this wicked, false teaching that was trying to infiltrate the church, and as soon as it couldn't, and he cast it out, what happens next? They beat them almost to death. Persecution, when infiltration by Python isn't allowed, then all hell lets loose against you and yours. And you say, well, Craig, well, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world. Yeah, well, yes, but we're getting right to where Philippi was. You just hold on now. Thoughts are, are violence now. Any view that disagrees with someone else's view is grounds to kill you and yours. We're getting there. Python is alive and well, slow and subtly over time, trying to choke you through depression, putting a funky ceiling on your life where you can't advance and you're stuck and you don't know why. Well, of course, if, I mean, if you're snorting cocaine off all the Manson girls or something, you know, I mean, you know let's repent of that. I mean, if you're, if you're just dousing yourself with alcohol and you're, you're obviously just sort of in some funky sin in your life, obviously that's overt. Get rid of it. But I'm talking about a subtlety through the Python spirit that goes beyond the obvious in your life. Long-term fruitlessness. Long-term inability to advance. Long-term setback. Long-term, what the hell is tying me down? Python. Go ahead and look at the... I'm not going to read them all. I put that up for you. I put 15 traits of a python spirit. Isn't he a wonderful pastor? Hallelujah. 
We love him so much. He means well. That's what I said is going to be on my tomb. He meant well. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, the, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against your president. It is not against your school teacher. It is not against your spouse. It's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Did you know Paul said there's a lot of spiritual funk hanging out there over cities, territories, and any area you're going to try to reach with the gospel? When you enter into that realm, they are going to try to pulverize you, infiltrate you subtly, or if you don't agree, murder you and everything you stand for. And we're getting closer to that in our country. Cheer up, saints. It's getting worse. Well, I hope he doesn't quit preaching and go to meddling. <laughs> Beloved, you need to hear this today. Keep your ears open. In Acts chapter 8, the first major revival that happens outside Jerusalem after they've been woken up through fire and persecution. He's a good God. He won't ever disrupt your plans. <laughs> oh, uh, read Acts 8. All right. We get to this wonderful revival, but we get to this after God has had to raise up Saul, who he's going to later convert and turn into Paul, who's going to write two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. But first, he's going to use him as a firebrand to get the church up off their assets and out of Jerusalem. Because they wouldn't leave any more than you would. We want holy ground. We want to rest. We want to relax. Hey, things are good here in Jerusalem. Ah, there's power. There's glory. There's fellowship. I don't even want to leave the upper room. Amen. We want to stay on the spiritual breast forever. Little babies. Mama's a milk dispensing machine. Right? I got a new grandbaby that was just born this week. Someone say amen. And his name's Simon. And no, no relation to our text today. But Simon thinks his mommy is a milk dispensing machine right now. Now, eventually, he's going to pull back one day and see the I thou, not I it, me and the nipple. But I thou, hey, there's a mama behind this nipple, right? Right now, she's a roving, floating nipple. That's it. And that's our degree of spiritual maturity, usually. We're still in kindergarten. God's my milk dispensing machine. I'm going to rub the rabbit's foot just right and have my way all the time. Read the Bible, honey. First thing, you'll never find that in the Bible. Second thing, God's calling us from I it to I thou relationship where we look past the nipple and go, oh, who are you? I'm mama. That's what little Simon's going to see. Oh, I thought you were just, yeah, a means to an end, but I'm not. I'm, I'm an end in and of myself. Hi, honey. Dear friend of mine, once when she was saved, she said the Lord spoke to her and said, honey, you love me right now because I saved you, but someday it'll be deeper than that. We love him first because he breaks through and saves us from fire, right? But there's a whole different depth. That's just the, 
that's just the child and mommy is a milk dispensing machine. But someday you pull back and you go, hi, who are you? I'm the source of all this. I'm not the roving breast in the sky, honey. I am behind the breast and I have higher goals than you just drinking. Yeah, all right. Someone say it went wrong <laughs> at some point, but we didn't know where. <laughs> El Shaddai. That's right. The, the all proficient, bounteous one, the breasted one. Mm. Get my series on El Shaddai. Mm. Listen to Acts 8 5 through 25. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. Oh, not today, not happening here. <laughs> it's coming. Hold on. All right. Now, <laughs> so there was great joy in the city, and the paralyzed and the lame were healed. Now, for some time, a man named Simon, underscore that name, Simon Magus, had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. After that, they further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. May God bless the reading of his word. What's going on here? Well, they're finally off their assets and they're finally moving out. And God takes one of the deacons, Philip, who later had four daughters that prophesied. He's mentioned throughout Acts. He goes to Samaria. Now, what does he run into in Samaria? This has been an area geographically controlled by the devil through the ministry of a man called Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. This guy wasn't doing, making coins disappear. He was used through demonic power and deceptive means in order to what? Make out that he was the great one, that he was someone important. 
And it says everyone, rich and poor and big and little and old and young, all were mystified by him and greatly impressed with whatever it was that he was doing with regard to false lying signs and wonders. So you get Simon. He has been the guy, right? He's the famous television evangelist, but for the dark side, all right? He has been dominating Samaria, this spirit dominated by weird sexual stuff, weird false teaching, worshiping at a weird false temple. But God loved these people. And Jesus went there, and there was a first revival in Samaria. But this is some years later. Now Philip goes down, and there's a whole revival. And did you know God wants to bring revival to places that have a pig pen darkness of principalities, powers, and wicked spirits hanging over them? And he's going to send you, and he's going to send me. He's going to send us to places. But we must realize that we're going to engage in spiritual warfare. We're going to face the excluded middle. And if you think you aren't, go ahead and take your left brain neck up Western theological seminary degree over to Nigeria. Oh, I've seen men. There have been men that have died going there because (laughs) these people have an understanding of the excluded middle. Those witch doctors can point a chicken bone at you and you drop dead of a heart attack. I've seen pastors drop dead being pointed at. Well, I got everything under the blood before I got off the plane in Nigeria for the first time. Lord, forgive me. Lord, empower me. Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I prayed the excluded middle and the excluded end and everything else be poured out on me. You know, I did not want to go without armor because I, I knew of people who went ignorantly into a land infiltrated by demonic manifestation. I could tell you stories on end of what just happened to me personally. These things did not like me, and I did not like them. But if you don't have armor, and you think you're going to go down to the Samaria of your day, you will get nowhere. Philip, thank God, was anointed by the Holy Ghost. And and his whole meetings were defined by these weird spirits, you know, crying out all through the... You'd, you'd say, now that's not, that's, that's not order. We can't have that in the church. Well, if you start clashing in spiritual warfare as you're supposed to, and you're comfortable realizing once you accept the excluded middle, you're going to run into it, and then you come in the name of Jesus Christ, and you do not come in your own power, there's going to be a transaction of heaven. All of a sudden, Philip's ministry reveals every weird Samaritan devil that's there, surfaces them all, and they all start screeching and screaming, and he's just casting them out all over the place. And then guess who comes up? Simon Magus, the guy who was the human vessel through whom the devil was holding these people in bondage. And initially, it looks like he accepts the gospel. It's a superficial acceptance. He's baptized. You can, you can raise your hand and pray a few words and get dunked in water. That doesn't mean anything if your heart's not open to God. And we find out from what we learn later historically about him, he never repented. In fact, he became the chief counterfeiter that followed Peter's ministry around. And as a counterfeiter, brought a counterfeit God picture, a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit view of the Messiah, this man became Peter's arch enemy and the arch enemy of light in his time. And we'll get there in a minute. I just want you to hold this all in your mind. Samaria is a funky place anyway. There's a funky spiritual cloud like pig pen above the city. 
God wants to penetrate it, but, but to penetrate it, he has to send faithful anointed vessels, people who don't just have an anointed gift, but have an anointed gift and an anointed life that we talked about last week. No mixture. You've got to have an anointed life and an anointed gift. And Philip had that, and he goes in, and man, oh, my God, it's revival history. Oh, lightning striking here and there, and Simon's in, and he's following them around, and he's impressed. And you think, oh, this guy's got a double dose of the Holy Ghost. No, he doesn't. He sees Peter and John, our blessed brethren, right? Pretty important guys, huh? John, the best friend of Jesus that heard the heartbeat of the God-man at every dinner. Hmm? Then Peter, pretty influential two guys to send down to Samaria. They had to send the big guns to say, check this out and see if this is a real revival. And did you know we have to prove all things and hold fast to that, which is good. You need to test everything. That claim. Remember this python spirit tries to f- flatter and, and infiltrate and, and uh, gain access through commanding uh, a divination gift. Do you know there's nothing to get you in a movement quicker than prophesying over the leaders? and giving some truthful information. Prophecy is always a controversial, right? That's why the enemy wants to knock it out completely because then there's no edification, exhortation, and comfort, but then we can become, uh, you know, Pentecostal charismaniacs swinging on every chandelier where we think anything authentic is of God. No, it isn't. The devil can tell you what drawer you keep your shoes in, and if he does it just right through an articulate something with a gift of gab, I perceive your name is Sammy. Am I correct? Thank you. Thank you. This gift's strong on me. You keep your under, underwear in your third drawer. Now, who is? And then they'll mention your grandma's name. All right. Oh, oh. You just gave $10,000 in the offering, you fool. Because we're impressed with crumbs. Those are crumbs. Those are people, they're not even in the supernatural. They're just manipulating you with information they're being told in their ear. It was called a familiar spirit in Deuteronomy 18. These things know everything about you, and they hook up to a psychic when they're putting their tarot cards out. <gasps> it's called the causal fallacy. The cards have not a thing to do with going on. The person's hearing someone tell you what drawer you keep your underwear in. And I see, wait a minute, who's Mary? My grandma. Oh, Mary's standing right behind you. It's not Mary. You and your grandma had a private conversation in the first floor bathroom two days before she died. (laughs) Oh, my God. How did you know that? It's an invisible, familiar spirit, honey. Don't give all your money and don't worship at the altar of that thing. It is a fallen creature. They were screaming out in Philip's meetings because they were threatened. But we'd invite them onto the prayer team and the worship team. In our charismatic world, bring them in. They had authentic information, and it seemed encouraging. These are prophets of the Most High God who show us the way of salvation. Clear enough, you lead the prayer team. And they want to infiltrate and slither that in. But if you cut it off and you stop that thing, then they're going to hit you. This is what happened in the Philippian jail. They're going to beat the snot out of you until you are put in stocks at midnight. Paul and Silas bleeding all over the place. This was not a comfortable thing to get into. And you, can, you, you, you hope that in seminary they weren't told that if you're, if you're right with God, you'll land in a feather bed every time. That's what we teach. doesn't work. never has. never will. 
But Paul and Silas were bigger than that, and they said, you know what, God's sovereign over this. We're not going to try to act like it didn't happen. I had a friend one time, Brian McLean, and Brian said he was at a church camp, and they had the Baptists on one side with a rope, and they had a pit of mud, and they had the Word of Faith folk on the other side. And the Baptists pulled the Word of Faith folk into the mud pit, but they wouldn't receive it. Yeah, wouldn't receive it. Do you see how you have to, with your theology, you've got to cut a fine line surgically. It's got to be biblical. It's got to be biblical. And these guys are dealing through this little girl with the python spirit. Now, but now we're going to go back to Acts 8. Forget the python girl, okay? Bless her heart. We've beaten her up enough. She did get free, thank God. Thank God. But she had authentic information but it issued from hell. The question isn't, is it authentic? It's, what's the source? That's my question. You deal with the tarot card lady. You deal with the psychic from New Jersey. You deal with these people. You're going to get authentic information. What's the source? Remember Deuteronomy 13. If, if, a, if someone comes and they give you a sign and a wonder and they prophesy a thing and it come to pass, but they say, let us follow other gods, I say, you shall not be afraid of them. In fact, put them to death. Oh, no. Now he's getting into that Old Testament God. A death sentence for getting my tarot cards read. Sweetheart, when you go to the zoo, you see a death sentence all the time in that tiger cage. If you walk 30 feet and jump over this wall, you will die. That's a death sentence. You get it at the zoo. Now, whether you're the idiot that wants to get the selfie that defies that, and don't we just love to see that Karen Michelin was a grandmother of four? You know, and it's like, oh, God, here she goes. Well, she just thought she'd violate the death sentence warning, climb over and get the selfie with the gorilla before he ripped her head off. I don't, I'm, I'm not lying. There's a little delight sometimes. I read an article about one of those guys in Louisiana, the snake handlers, and ye shall pick up any serpent, and it will not harm you. And it bit him right in the face, and he dropped dead. And I thought, my daughter said, Daddy, why are you looking all weird? I said, I'm I'm sorry. I was going to praise the Lord for just a minute. Come on now, ignorance on stilts. But anywho. You see a death sentence at the zoo, right? Every time there's, there's a threatening animal. Well, what about flirting with the supernatural and un- unifying your soul with darkness? That had a capital charge on it because you're flirting with darkness and you're, you're, you're letting it in and out of you as a vessel. And your temple is to be a temple of the Holy Spirit and is not to be open for your, well, I just thought it was a Ouija board. Well, bless you. You just thought. And you just brought in a welcome mat that you put at the front of your door to you and your family and your children and said, come on in, all powers of darkness. It's an invitation. Come in the windows, come in the doors. We're not, we're not signing off on anything. We're, we just come on. And you know what they do? By invitation. Talk to a young girl and watch one of the horror movies out now. She goes, <laughs> she goes, Craig, as soon as I saw they brought a Ouija board in under the bed. <laughs> She said, I thought that was a dumb idea. I said, yes, honey, because I always teach her. You don't put a welcome mat out to the devil because he will show up. And then you start spitting up green pea soup and yeah, whatever. 
I hope you get to <laughs> Philip's meetings and start getting those things shrieking out of you. That's what we're coming to, beloved. The anointing is going to get so thick. It's not here yet. When it is, everything you're unaware of that's still there around you, a python or anything else, is going to start squeaking out. So it'd be, when you come to church, just try to get clean and right. Because it might be you, the first one. We'll say, like the first dollar we, we make at the business. We'll frame a picture of you getting delivered. Amen. And we'll sell it to those of you looking on for a mild processing fee. <clears throat> so this is the first revival that is hit outside of Jerusalem. It's in Samaria, funky land. All that darkness, like pig pens, dirt. God pierces the darkness through Philip's ministry. And the Holy Ghost delivers everybody. Everybody's getting healed, saved, delivered. And Simon Magus gets revealed. The root problem, the devil's man in that whole region acts like he's getting saved, but he doesn't. Now, did you know, and stay with me for the next few minutes if you can, please. You may think this is academic, off target. I'm not getting off target. You have to understand who Simon Magus was and who he became because we find out about him through the early church fathers who wrote Justin Martyr, Clement, Hippolytus, Eusebius, these, these, these writers of early Christian history and the early apostolic fathers, post-apostolic fathers. Simon the story in the Bible leaves him off there, right? We don't know what happened. We think, well, maybe he's saved, maybe he got rebuked, maybe. I mean, Peter puts the Deuteronomic curse on him in Deuteronomy that God says, I curse you and everything you represent. And Simon sort of says, well, please pray to the Lord that these things won't happen. Then he drops off the pages of biblical history. Guess where he shows up? Simon Magus became one of the fundamental founders of the counterfeit religion that was Christianity's chief opponent for hundreds of years called Gnosticism. Ever heard that phrase, Gnostic? It comes from the word gnosis. It means to know. It was a, it was a counterfeit worldview of God. Let me give you a little picture. God was sort of like this ineffable, unreasonable it, uh, this one, uh, beyond reason, beyond knowing, and he, uh, this it overflowed, just like you can imagine an overflowing torrent. And as this one began to overflow into these little circular beings called eons, this one, this uh, it, beyond reason, beyond logic, beyond knowing, beyond duality, this one is just imagine something like thrust, just it's overflowing like uh, Niagara Falls. And it emanates down out of itself into these beings called eons that, that get closer and closer and closer to what we call the material world, matter. It's a view called dualism. Spirit good, flesh bad. Spirit's good, flesh is bad. It crept into the Christian church through St. Augustine. You ever see the guys that were living on poles for 40 years and never came down? <laughs> and they would just isolate themselves from reality and they would just meditate all the time? That, those are the people who believe spirit good, flesh bad. Well, the dualism of Gnosticism, everything's wrong about it. This is, and guess who the fountainhead source of the Gnostic movement was Simon Magus. 
He couldn't get in the church. He couldn't infiltrate the church. John and Peter wouldn't sell him the power. Boy, he thought that was a magnetic power. How much does it cost, guys? A million, a million five for me to get this power that fire shoots out of my hands too and everybody starts talking in tongues. And Peter, he doesn't just rebuke him. He gives a prophecy about him. He says, you, I perceive, are going to be the gall of bitterness to this church. Your heart is not right with God. You are going to become the fountainhead of all heresies. All early heresies, most of them, came out of Simon Magus. He starts following Peter around, and the stories have him actually going to Rome during the, uh, the, the emperorship of Claudius, the emperor, and that Simon would do his little fake signs and wonders, and one of them happened to be that he could levitate. He could fly. Ever seen the movie The uh, Silver Chalice? Paul Newman's first movie, Jack Palance. It's all about this, Simon Magus and his little girlfriend, Helena, who was a former prostitute, and they went around and he would fly. This was one of his things. You say, well, how could he fly? Well, of course not. But just as I could reach down, if I was an invisible pastor right now and go, Ooh, oh, here he look, the pulpit's coming at you. Oh, no, Sammy. Give to, and I could just make it up. I could say, give to St. Germain of the Purple Flame, and you'd come up and throw your money on the ground because you just saw what you perceived to be a levitation of the pulpit. All right, did it happen? Yeah. Is it authentic? Yeah. Could you film it? Yeah. Is it supernatural? Absolutely not. It's done by an invisible pastor. Do you know how much money I could make if I did those invisible pastor tricks? <laughs> if you want your sins forgiven, give $10. Well, we'll put a few more zeros on it for that. Justin Martyr, the great church father, said that after Christ's ascension into heaven, the devils put forward certain men who said that they themselves were gods, and they were not only not persecuted by you, but even deemed worthy of honors. There was a Samaritan Simon, a native of the village Gito, who in the reign of Claudius Caesar and in your royal city of Rome did mighty acts of magic by virtue of the art of the devils operating in him. He was considered a god, and as a god was honored by you with a statue, which statue was erected on the river Tiber between the two bridges and bore the inscription, Simone Deo Sancto. Simon had disciples later, Meander, Marcion, and their basic view was, here's, here's a fake god picture, this impersonal god essentially flows forth like Niagara Falls into beings that are more distant from his purity and the closer they get, then they're, they're, in most of the mythologies there's, there's a being called Sophia, the word for wisdom, and then Sophia creates a wicked god named Jehovah who creates the world, which is matter. And matter is... See, your problem is... Simon said, is that this amazing unity that is evolving, de-evolving and through these eons, and at the end, wicked Jehovah, the stupid God, creates the material world. Oh, that's your problem. See, this divine spark that has somehow been infiltrated into your inner being is now trapped in your material body. You're a bird in a cage. Your problem is you've got that physical, nasty, yucky, poopy matter. 
Oh. See, spirit good, matter evil. Simon came up with this. It's a competing God. It isn't a personal God who's reasonable and chooses to create the universe. It's an emanational God that cannot help but emanate. And as, as these emanations come down to the earth, then Sophia and then Jehovah, and then, well, now we have this material universe, which is your problem, see? You're locked in matter. The divine spark, ever heard that? The divine spark is captured inside of you. And what you need is that spark ignited and let it become one with the one, all with the all, divine with the divine. The bubble in the ocean pops nirvana, and you become nothing. One with the one, all with the all, alone with the alone. Been to Malibu recently, the New Age movement? That's it. That's what this is. While there's, there are distinctions between Gnosticism and Neoplatonism and so on, we're not going to go into that, thank God. But I want you to get a picture. And Simon is saying, um, you've heard of Jesus, right, who died and rose from the dead. That's me. You've heard of the Holy Spirit? And that's me too. And he's walking around with his little girlfriend, and he's going up and opposing the apostles as they're preaching. Or he comes up behind them, and he's given this worldview, the false God picture. He says he's the Messiah. He's the great one. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Yeah, you heard that, but it's me. They misguided you. It's not this Jesus guy. I am Jesus. I'm the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, that's a weirdo. No, he'd fit right in in Malibu. <laughs> He'd own a big mansion overlooking the, the Paul Mitchell property. Why? Because, you know, hey, we're all one, and God is me, and me is you, and we are one, man. Your problem is, man, you've forgotten that you are God. It's metaphysical ignorance, baby. Just wake up, right? That's our whole culture, by the way. I just didn't want to mention it. Remember when Paul is in Athens and he's at Mars Hill and he's at this little outcropping on the Parthenon and he said he's dealing with the Epicureans and the Stoics. Those were the two philosophies. They, uh, they represent New Age atheism and the New Age movement because all of Christian history pivots on one or the other being in cultural control. Remember living through the New Age movement out here, man, in the 70s and the 80s, right? That was New Age pantheism, man. I'm God, you're God, you just forgot. Wake up, baby. Okay, that's that. And then the new atheism after 9-11, right? That's what we've been immersed in since. The new atheism, agnosticism, you know, if you can't smell it, see it, feel it, taste it, it's not real. God's not real. Burden of proof is on you Christians to prove your weird, elfin-like God exists. I don't have to disprove anything. You have to prove to me. And, and so, so we keep throughout church history, we, we have the new age pantheism, is in ascendance, or the new atheism, naturalism, period. All that's real is what you can see, taste, smell, hear, and touch, right? So just ask yourself in the culture, what's, what is in ascendance right now? That's the power we're attacking. So new age came in in the 70s and 80s, then after 9-11, the new atheism, that's the whole thing now, the brights, the street epistemologists, the people who are like, you know, happily against all religion. Religion is evil. It's the source of every devil in the world. And so, you know, if you see those two and watch for them, you see one or the other ascending in every country you visit. So do you see when you go to an area where you want to sow in your ministry, it's good to find out what principality and power is in vogue over that city right now? Because they shift. Remember Daniel? 
prayed, and for 14 days, the angel had to fight through the prince of Persia to get to him. He said, oh, by the way, the prince of Persia is leaving. The prince of Greece is coming. Man, we got a lot of funk in this upper atmosphere. Now, wouldn't you think an angel could go right down to Daniel and not be opposed? took him 14 days to fight his way from that dimension into where Daniel was. He said, look, we heard your prayer 21, the first day you prayed, <laughs> okay? But there's so much stuff that Philip had to intercede over that was dominating Samaria. So whatever that is, whatever that clash is, we're looking right now at a Samaritan clash, right? So can we go back to Simon for a minute? Simon Magus goes to Rome, and he does his tricks, and the emperor himself was impressed. Ooh, they even built a statue to him, found the pedestal of it in the Tiber. Still have the pedestal. You go, what the heck? Yeah, this guy, was able, he had the gift of gab. He was charismatic. He had every gift, talent, and ability you could imagine and some funky stuff added to it that could lift him up when he wanted to fly. Well, that'll impress you. I know it will. And like most Christians I've ever known, they will give their $10,000 offering to that. Every time. Not to church. Not sow it in where you're fed. But it will be given through a trick. Because, oh boy, they had the gift of gab. Oh boy, the, the thing levitated. Oh, 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 I felt a, they touched me and I felt a little, there's 10 grand. 10 grand always goes to the gift ministries. Never goes to the boring people who teach on Gnosticism. Is Tom smiling? Is he smiling right now? I know he is, all right. So Simon Magus becomes the fountainhead of all these heresies. His view of God is odd. So, so understand with the Gnostics, they say God is not a personal, reasonable being that you know in the Bible. He's an it who effusively just sort of de-evolves from his purity. And these eons, they can be called angels, they, they begin to mediate between his perfection and what is now the created universe, which is the moral sludge. Do you remember in Acts 17, Paul was fine. The Epicureans and Stoics are listening to him until he says, and Je I am declaring a God you don't know. I found a little altar here. It says to the unknown God, Agnostotheo. I declare this God to you. And he is seen in Jesus Christ who died and rose again from the dead. Everything was fine until he mentioned the resurrection. Because, see, these people believed that flesh is bad, matter's evil, spirit's good. You want to be the bird getting out of the cage. See, Christians believe that we are made in the image of God and that our embodiment in flesh is good and that we manifest the full image of God by this. We're not just waiting to leave. That's not New Testament or Old Testament belief. That's Gnosticism. That's Greek thought, right? So as soon as Paul says, hey, and once you get out of this grubby old body like Jesus did, he rose again from the dead back in the same body. They said, who is this seed picker? They called him, a, <laughs> they called him, a, oh, who is this idiot? Like the guy collects newspapers and puts them in the cart at Ralph's. That's what they called Paul. Little seed picker walking around, crazy guy picking up seeds. <laughs> they, as soon as he mentioned that Christianity is rooted in the sanctity 
of the soul body unity. And Jesus not only died and left, but he came back and he resurrected the body and you too will be resurrected from the dead. They said, get this seed picker out of here. And there was no fruit. It says a few people heard him. Dionysius the Areopagite heard him. Who's he? We don't know, but it's a fascinating name. Wouldn't you love? There's a new name for the baby. <laughs> Slash Dionysius the Areopagite. So, so Paul is rejected because he's saying your whole Greek view is wrong. Flesh is not bad. It's good. It was created by God. This created universe is tovmeod, very good. So you're all wrong in your fake view of God. It's not one God among many. It's one most high true God who is Lord of all. And, and as we began to preach the gospel, we had to contend with a worldview you guys don't even know anything about because the, the look I can see on your faces as I'm talking today. You have to understand the water they swam in and the air they breathed was this weird view, this Gnostic view. So what is salvation in Gnosticism? Well, you have to know certain spiritual insights. So the Gnostic would wander around and he would give the call. He would see if you had the divine spark captured in you. And if you evidenced that, then for a price, he could give you the secret knowledge, the gnosis that you needed to learn in order to unlock that spark and become one with the one, all with the all, alone with the alone, and ascend back up. Ever heard any of these concepts? Star Wars? Hmm. Well, I thought it made sense. Think again. The gospel that was being presented said that is flushed down the toilet. God is not an impersonal it de-evolving into lesser, lesser, and lesser manifestations till poor old dumb Jehovah, by mistake, his wand misfired and he created the material universe. That's what they think of what they call the Old Testament God. Oops, you didn't know that, did you? So, not only was the gospel given, absolutely, empowered by the Holy Spirit, absolutely, but there were counterfeit, demonic powers preaching the wrong God picture on Peter's heels wherever he went. This guy and his disciples went. Trying to, to screw up the, the, the sound doctrine of God with this weird emanational view of God, the impersonal it. That's very New Agey, by the way. That's very Hindu. Okay, it's not new, but it was the breath of the early church. First 300 years of the church, they're being contested, not by uh, prostitutes or pimps, but people embodied by demonic spirits that are corrupting the God picture, infiltrating that way. And here was salvation is what? You just need, if you have a light locked in you, then we have secret knowledge. And if you pay a little bit, you can learn this. And when you do, then you'll be You'll be saved. What does salvation mean? Not salvation by grace through faith, through the shed blood of the God-man. Oh, no. Do you know what the Greeks thought about the God-man? Second person of the Trinity incarnate in human flesh? What would God, the divine, have to do with sinful, yucky, poopy flesh? Now you know why John, in his gospel and in his epistles, had to say, anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is Antichrist. If you deny that God, second person of the Trinity, assumed a second what of human nature and lived and walked among us and yet remains in that flesh is the devil himself. 
Do you know how many people in liberal clergy, <laughs> clerical circles believe Jesus did not claim to be deity? He did not make divine claims. He did. That's the majority of the whole liberal world. They, they, they don't believe that. They deny he was enfleshed and has remained enfleshed. And if you do that, you're the spirit of Antichrist, prematurely attacking the world. That's what the Gnostics were teaching. There were different brands. Docetic Gnostics said, well, Jesus was purely a divine being, but he, he only appeared to be human, dokeo, appearance. So they said, you know, he was purely a spiritual eon. He's just one of those progressive eons that came through the emanation, just so like lights from the sun or a radi from the center of a circle or, uh, you know, Jesus was one of those eons. That's it. He was not God. He wasn't the sun. He was a sunbeam. Jesus is my sunbeam in my heart today. Gnostic. I want to die and go to heaven. My body's bad. I'm a bird locked in a cage. Gnostic. Oh, no. My divine spark wants to get out. Gnostic. Now do you see why Paul, writing in Colossians, says Jesus is the pleroma. He is the fullness of God in human flesh. He's fighting Gnosticism. He's saying if you deny he was in flesh and remains in flesh, he took on flesh and he sits at the right hand of the Father in a glorified body of flesh and bone, you are the Antichrist. Ooh, you're not just misguided and falsely taught at a little Bible study in Agora Hills. You are the devil speaking. <laughs> now that sounds a little harsh. No, it isn't. No, it, see, your God picture is the most important thing about you. First thing about you when I say God is the most important thing. It'll direct everywhere you go. Your view of salvation is very important. What do you need to be shed? Do you need to be cleansed by the blood of the God man, the blood of that enfleshed union because you're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace? Or are you just basically good, you know? And you just need a little education. Come on now. Let's not be naked. Let's join hands. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. No, no. No, no. The early church wouldn't tolerate kumbaya circles. They came in and said, that man's of the devil. <laughs> there were Serinthian Gnostics to another form of Gnosticism. And when John, the beloved apostle, went into one of the Roman baths, he saw Serinthus, the Gnostic, come in. And he said, come, let us leave now, lest the roof cave in and kill Serinthus. John, you're the disciple of love. Come on, John. John. Come on, what would Jesus do, John? He would have killed them with lightning. <laughs> John would have nothing. John is cursing these people that would come in, that were teaching a false view of who Jesus was. I'm not going to go as far as to ask you who Jesus is because I guarantee you, you couldn't give a creedal orthodox de declaration, and that's my fault. But that will be changed soon. Why did the church have to have councils and the Council of Nicaea and the creeds and Nicene Creed and uh, you know, Athanasian Creed, Chalcedonian Creed? Why? Because the early church had to clearly define who God was, what the gospel was, and what salvation was and what you were saved from because the Gnostics were infiltrating. Everywhere they went, they'd follow up behind them or they'd been before them. And you know, there's one of the stories that says that Simon met Peter in the Roman Forum, and he 
he tried to fly, and he was flying. And then Peter got down on his knees and said, Lord, sabotage this fool, and he fell, broke his feet and his legs, and later died of those wounds. Whoops. Samaritan clash with Philip and Simon. A clash between Peter and Simon. But you know what? His disciples lived on, and Gnosticism thrives in California, man. Are you going to San Francisco? And they think this is new, right? Now, here's the thing. You're informed. You know why you believe what you believe. So you'll be able to say, this is Gnosticism. This came from Simon Magus, the guy who refused the actual gospel, and he persecuted the apostles from that day on until he uh, took a fall. Literally. Did you know that we are dealing with clashes spiritually? And if you haven't noticed it, notice it as you move forward. But here's the good news. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is no power of hell. They're, they're, they're fool's gold compared to the noonday sun. You have nothing to fear but fear itself. Do not back up an inch when you get opposition. Double down, triple down, quadruple down, and run to the roar. When we were studying the value of lions, we gave you a little bit of counsel. If you ever find yourself confronting a lion, never run or your dinner. Ever. But did you know with lions, if you approach them, you throw, you throw them off. If you run to a lion, if you move towards a lion, they are discombobulated. They can't, they can't process, and they'll run away in most cases. But you have to run to the roar. Don't, don't retreat. In Vietnam, they had a tactic that they would, they, would, they, would, they would start a firefight up front, but they had the bulk of the power back because they knew most of our young 17-year-olds, when the firefight started, would move back, and the true attack was behind them. That's what the devil does. He has strategies. But if you press forward and keep shooting, <laughs> you're going to advance in a way with the power of God. Now, Philip, thank God, advanced, and he wouldn't back up. And I love it. It says in the book of Acts, he had four daughters which did prophesy. What a powerful house to visit on your missions trip, Philip's house. Four daughters, virgins who did prophesy. This man was a Holy Ghost man. But now, at the end of the day and all that happened in Samaria, did Simon repent? No. Did he move on? Yes. To be a gall of bitterness. To be a, a master of, of, of false doctrine concerning God's nature, concerning the Messiah. So God was this impersonal it that was emanating. Right? Not a personal. And Simon said, I'm the Messiah. I'm Jesus. I'm the Holy Spirit. You guys heard a little bit, but you were wrong. Let me interpret it for you. But he got his personally. But you know what? The early church had to fight this in the 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century. That's why we put the creeds out. Let me ask you, do you wear your driver's license on your forehead and your passport over your mouth? Why? Because you only have to prove your identity when an opportunity arises where you need to. The church didn't have to wear her license plate or passport on her face because everybody from the beginning believed in the triune nature of God. Everybody believed in the deity of Christ. Everybody believed in salvation by grace through faith. That, only when it was contested and challenged by the Gnostics 
did they have to put the license plate on the forehead and come up with the Nicene Creed and say, no, 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 Jesus is not just one God among many. No, 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 no. He's not inferior to the Father by essence and nature. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. He's a who. No, 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 no. So you only have to clarify who you are when someone challenges your identity. And the early church did a smack dab gorgeous job of slapping all of this down in the creeds and councils of the church. And there's something so beautiful about being able to pull your license out when you have to identify yourself. See, they had to slap down all of Simon's doctrines. So ideas have consequences. Hmm? There is spiritual warfare everywhere you're going to be advancing. Third, find out what the funk is. What is the nature of what you're dealing with? And then you will be able to do warfare. And you will be able to attack the excluded middle. And God, by the way, he basically just protects us. You know, I used to say, come out, devil, and shine my shoes on the way to hell. That's what I used to do. Oh, <clears throat> you don't need to do that. Just stay covered with the blood of Jesus in your little turtle huddle with our, our Roman shields together. Form the turtle. <laughs> and then just be covered in blood and wander where he wants you to wander, not alone, but collectively, and then advance forward. You can't advance alone. That's trickery. You cannot survive by yourself. And some of us have been lone rangers through Python for so many years. It's sucked off every conceivable relationship from us, offended everybody from us, and we find ourselves isolated in a little room somewhere, and the devil goes, yeah, baby. You're gonna, I put you here, and you're going to stay here for the rest of your life. We are not going to be dominated by the Python spirit. We are going to have our air back, our voice back, our worship back, our ability to share our testimony back, and to know why we believe what we believe so we have arrows to put in our bow. Most of us have bows without arrows. What are you shooting? Oranges? Halt! You know, I shot 14 watermelon at them, and they just kept coming. Well, you have to have proper arrows advancing. So what I did in the notes, if you want to just look later, is I talked about a Samaritan clash, which is today, Simon Magus and everything I've talked about. We are in a warfare, we're in a battle, and it has a different nature depending on which one. Then I list Elymas in Acts 13, the wizard that was united to Sergius Paulus, the first Roman Paul ministered to. There was a demon spirit wrapped around this Roman governor in a city called Paphos, in Cyprus, that Paul, there was a clash with Elymas, this false teacher who was called Bar-Jesus and Elymas, and Paul struck him blind. Paul said, may you child of the devil full of all subtlety, may blindness come upon your eyes. And it says, he sought someone to lead him by the hand. There's another clash in Cyprus. And then you look at Acts 16, our little python girl. Bang, there's a clash in Acts 16. And then in, in Acts 19 at Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, boom, big clash. There's always a clash when you seek to advance. Don't be shocked. Okay? Just say, I knew this was coming. I remember I heard one Bible teacher say, whenever the devil shows up, she says, there it is. There it is. I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was going to be, but she draws a circle around and goes, there it is. I knew I was under some kind of attack. You know, you can just feel sometimes something you're under attack. You don't even know what to call it. You just, you feel funky. You feel that Python funk coming on you. You go, where is it? Believe me, you're under attack. Call your brethren right then, not three weeks later when we're looking at your body in a casket. Call immediately and say, 
I don't know what it is. And we'll pray it off for you. We can see what you can't see. But you see, if we stay isolated and alone and locked in a back room, we're harmless. On our own, we are easily picked off. But when even two of us, notice Jesus sent his people out two by two. He never sent anyone anywhere alone. Oops. Because he knew we needed backup. He knew you can see my back, I can see yours. I can see you in a way you can't see yourself. And you can see me in a way I can't see myself. So as we move forward, and I'll just put that to bed here. I could go on forever as I am wont to do. (laughs) That's all right. I'm so sorry I couldn't do this in 20 minutes. We're in a battle. It makes sense. The Holy Spirit will show you the nature of the battle you're just about to go into, and then you are powerful. Then you are calm. You can sleep at night. And when the devil shows up, you go, there it is. Let me circle that, honey. Look at that. Let's pray against this. Now, there's that demon I was waiting for. Didn't quite know the nature of it. It's not a sexual thing this time. It's a false teaching thing. See, Samaria would hit you sexually in lust, or it would hit you theologically in bad teaching. Any way to infiltrate your moral life and your thought life. And see, when we have partners, we can both identify it. Unless you're in the same sin together, then it's hard to see. (laughs) I don't see anything. Do you know? Okay. That's why we need to come for dinner. You need to invite your brethren over that say, excuse me, (laughs) I see a huge python in your house. What does that mean? You see that poor lady this week, a python got a 57-year-old grandma? You see that? I'm talking on the python's beard, and they went and decapitated it and cut it open, and there was Grandma. Granny had a bad day then. (laughs) Yeah. Would have digested her in short order. But see, these things' heads have to be cut off. This slow attempt to choke you out. That's what it's been. I've seen it all through my life. I've seen it all through my ministry. I saw it slither in the church ages ago. Just right into the prayer team, right into the worship, right wherever where you're going to see it. We had more borderline personality folks that would not take their meds, more bipolar people. I used to go out and say, oh, we're having a church growth burst. Who are all these attractive women who are sitting in the first five rows <laughs> taking their meds <laughs> mid-sermon? Oh, we had some crazy folk because it's California, the land of fruits and nuts, right? You tilt the nation and everything goes to California. I didn't know it. I thought we were flourishing back in the A.E. Wright days when we had 400 people. God said, Craig, you don't have 400 people. You have the same 30 people you had then. And we cut that in half that you have now. Because those folk thought they were at an Amway meeting. They didn't know where they were. Is this Calvary? Is this John MacArthur's church? They, they had no idea. And, and those were always the loose cannons that would fly around the deck and try to kill everybody, right? B- brethren, why do you think I'm happy to just have you looking in and my handful of rubies and diamonds and emeralds? Because I'm too old to put crazy butts in these chairs. I don't have time. I don't want to deal with you and your, what, you know, 14 cases of adultery, 16 gender confusion. Ca- I, I, I'm sorry. I, it's, I'm too old, right? I just got to hit my bullseyes. You're my bullseyes, right? <laughs> Boy, don't think you're fruitful when you're just full of a nest of crazy. <laughs> and then one day, we had 40 people that were new in one meeting, and we all sort of went, oh, well, she, da, 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 this is what God's... Pro-. There had been a church split. 
where they assassinated the pastor's character and they all showed up here on a Sunday morning and we thought, whoa, the glory is here. And God said, no, Craig. They survived the kidneys of four churches in your area and they just dropped into your toilet today. <laughs> Get them out. And I am, of course, the pastor of genius until I offend one of them. Then I'm dead. So don't, don't declare victory too prematurely. We got four new people. Woo! Someone gave $1,000. Woo! Watch out. I'm so suspicious. I hide behind this pulpit. See? If this protected Catherine Goldman, it's going to protect me. All right, let me bless you. Because whether you recognize the darkness, this present darkness that's over your life, God does. Father, I, I pray right now, we, we extend your hands to the camera, everybody. Uh, Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you would identify by your precious Holy Spirit the nature of the darkness that would seek to rise and stay above the heads of our precious brethren, Lord. Whatever the pig pen funk is over their house, their marriage, their family, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their business situation, or whatever pig pen funk, is, that you would draw on it and identify it. We will pray you name the darkness, Lord. This python that's coming in to flatter and then grasp and then choke the life out and the air out and the breath out of my precious brothers and sisters. Identify it. Cut its head off, Lord. And deliver my precious brother right now from any bondage that has been just wrapped around him as long as he can remember. We curse that in Jesus' name. With fire, burn it off of him, Lord. We extend uh, our, our prayers, Lord, to your beautiful daughters, Lord, who have been assaulted and attacked by unnamed, unseen forces. Lord, name them so that they can name the darkness just above their heads, Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Holy Spirit, a deep warmth and comfort would come upon your people. We don't need to understand these things are too high for us. Like David said, I'm as an unweaned child, Lord. I'm as a weaned child, he said. I'm no longer frantic at the breast. I can now lay back in peace and look, I thou, into your face and find rest. We pray, Lord, that we, we can't figure out these histories and these deep things, but, but we can name what you call us to name. And with your blood and spirit, we can assault the powers of darkness and see victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone give your hands, to get your hands together. Bless the Lord. Ideas have consequences, but God wins. There are devils out and about, but they've got one-third of the angels. We've got two-thirds, and we've whipped them every time. So you are as the prophet was told, there will be more with us than there are with them. Do you remember Elijah's little servant just looked outside and saw about 20,000 army men and came in and said, ah, 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 ah. And he goes, Lord, open his eyes. And Gehazi's eyes are open and he sees. He goes, oh, Jehovah Sabaoth, oh, the Lord of hosts just brought, you know, like 100,000 warriors. And the prophet said, yes, honey, there are more with us than there are with them. Now, they are there. Simon Magus was running around with his weird God picture and weird view of salvation and trying to corrupt everybody, but his wings got clipped. Don't worry. Just run to the roar. Advance and don't back down. Advance and don't back down. Don't look behind you. I have to speak a prophetic word that was just dropped in my spirit. Psalm 139 
5 and 6. The Lord says, I've gone behind you to make sense of the past, and I've gone before you to clear out the future. But for the present, my hand is upon you. Beloved, stay where the hand is right now. Forget the past, it's gone. The future doesn't yet exist. Stay where his hand is upon you right now. In here, in here now. Don't live in the past, don't live in the future. Live right here, right now. That's where his hand is upon you. So quit trying to remember or heal the past all the bloody time and then trying to project the future. His hand is upon you. Just accept his presence right now. Amen. That's for somebody. God bless you. We love you. Uh, Joaquin, do you have anything? We have a dear brother with us. Joaquin and Eunice are here. I prayed God to bring him in, and here he was. It seems like the more things change the more they stay the same like what the old testament and what we got going on right now it is it's very tempting to to see the devil as though he's uh, off leash and running around doing whatever he wants but um he is on a leash uh god's just let go of the grip um you know letting him do seemingly what he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish but he's not accomplishing it he is very frustrated he's very angry and that's what you're seeing but it feels like he's off leash but he's not he's just the god said hey you want to do that go do it see what you can do can you win see what you can do do it see and and then when when he's done when he's exhausted himself as a man in his own sin the 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 choke chain comes out and and it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating to live in that. It's very frustrating to live in this world and you, and you see the devil apparently seemingly doing what he does. He has the social media. He has politicians. He has lawyers. He has courts. He has all these things. And the, what do the people of God have? What do they have? They have God. And he is not moved. He is not moved. Amen. There will come a day. We had a friend, Jim Brilly, mm -hmm. and he used to drive us to this church. Yep. And on the way to church, he would always talk about, you know, angry over things in, in the world and evil people and God not, you know. And you say, you know, there's going to come a day God's going to say, you know what, this, you guys are going too far. Who's going to turn the house lights up? Party's over. Huh. And w that's what we want. That's what we want God to do. And there will come a day when he does that. But, but, uh, but, but, but until that day comes, we have to be still and know that he is God because he is moving in very subtle ways. That if you don't, listen and be quiet and turn off the TV and the computer too. I don't watch TV. I get the news on the computer. And be still and know that he is God and take comfort from that. Because, you know, read the end of the book. You know, we know how it ends. Yes, you do. So, so rest in that knowledge 
and hang on and, and, and pray and do, as Craster Craig always says, do the next right thing. Thank you, Joaquin. As Joaquin is ministering, I just, I've got a little ladybug climbing up the leg of the chair over here. And, you know, they say if you try to find a ladybug, you can't. But if you fall asleep in a field, you wake up and they're all over you. I think we need to stop striving in the flesh and with our gifts and abilities and trying to make stuff happen and just fall asleep in the field at rest. Because when you're at rest, everybody looking at you is at rest. And the ladybugs will just come. You just wake up and they'll be on you. And, oh, praise God. There's a sermon everywhere, as my daughter says, and you will find it, Dad, whether it's there or not. Here's our beloved David Logeman. God bless you all this morning. As you get your elements together, we're going to start with the cup today. And when we start with the cup, I want us to declare with John the Baptist, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to see Jesus in, in, in a similar light. Back in the Old Covenant, when people went to the temple with their sin offering, if they were middle class like us, they would bring a lamb. And they would bring it before the priest. They would put their hands on the lamb, and their sins would be transferred to that lamb. And the lamb's innocence and purity and perfection would be transferred back to them. Then the lamb's blood would be shed because those sins have to be paid for. And the priest would declare them free of debt and they would leave the temple joyous and realizing they can receive all of God's blessings. Well, the priest represents God. The lamb, of course, represents Jesus. So when you come to worship, God is not looking at you and judging you. He's judging your sacrificial lamb, who is Jesus. So don't feel like you need to be guilty and that you feel condemned because you have the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. He shed his blood for us, for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Let's partake. And he allowed his body to be broken, that ours may be healed. So let's take the bread, let's break it, and let's partake. Let's give thanks to the true Lamb of God, who took away all of our sin. Now you're free to receive all the blessings of God. And may he open your heart to receive that today, in Jesus' name. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb. Mm. We're cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the God-man, the blood of the incarnate Redeemer who assumed flesh and remains enfleshed forever. Only thing we put in heaven were the scars from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. A living testimony for eternity of his sacrifice and his love for you. What a blessing. Amen. Isn't it good news all the way around? It's all good news. <laughs> it is. It's all good news for you. And I, I believe I'm, I'm encouraged in my spirit because 
when you know how to name what you're dealing with, the, all the fear is gone, all the mystery is gone, all the oogie boogie, you know. Remember the little boy is upstairs and he says, Mama, Mama, come up here. She goes, no, honey, Jesus is with you. He, he said, yeah, but I want love with skin on it. It's nice to know Jesus is with you, but you need love with skin on it. You need incarnate love. You need people in your life you can call as soon as Python attacks, not two weeks later when you're half dead or dead, actually. We go, whatever happened to them? Call your brethren the minute the enemy attacks you and assaults you, and we'll break it off. This is a word for right now. Trust me. Because as Joaquin said, the devil is throwing a tantrum right now, just like the tantrum Pharaoh threw when Moses was born, but he couldn't get him. And the Herod temper tantrum that was thrown tried to kill baby Jesus, but he couldn't get him, and he won't get you. But we have one another. We, we're not alone in this. Don't wait seven weeks when you're just about, uh, you know, in, in therapy and locked down for a 72-hour hold. Dun, 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 dun. Call me. Call. No, no. Call Dennis and Sandra at 3 in the morning. Their number is 805. <laughs> Sandra said, give his number. Yeah. Boy, she was quick on her feet right there. <laughs> Thank God we have one another. And did you know when you're down, I'm up. When I'm down, you're up. So we, we're never down at the same time, and we're never all up at the same time. But I guarantee you we need one another moving forward, even in the next week. Obey this word. When, you, when trouble lands and that bird's been on your head for 35 seconds, call then. Because I don't want to have to untie 75,000 knots that tied you up over a 24-day period. You know, Pastor, can you, you untie 24 days of demonic knots on you in 10 minutes on the phone? No. But if we do it right away, he showed me an image once. I saw one fern, and it was growing up around the stop sign outside my house. And the Lord said, is that a threat, Craig? That little fern, is that a threat? That little, one little, I said, no, I could just pull it off. He got, but what about 5,000 of those wrapped around this same sign? Is that a problem? Oh, yeah. See, what's simple to pluck off and utterly destroy the minute you call for prayer is not seven weeks later when there's 500,000 of them, and we can't even see you anymore. That's when people come to me. <laughs> the first fern amen it's an encode phrase the first fern is when you call amen well we love you and appreciate you and by the way if we're feeding you you feed us would you please go to our our sow a seed button there i got that from nate johnston i thought it was so lovely he gives a prophetic word then he says sow, sow a seed rather than offering gift give everything Sow a seed. <laughs> Sounds so friendly. <laughs> so I had Mike. I said, Mike, I love what these kids are doing. You put sow a seed on. So, the, so we've, we've made it sound really friendly and easy for you. But please do it because I've got to pay some bills this week. Amen. And the bills are faithful 24 hours a day. They never stop coming in. Amen. So we just appreciate whatever it is that God leads you to do, and please just be consistent with it. If it's $20, make it every month at the same day. It's something you could click on so that we can count on what we're getting. Amen, and not guess and wonder. All right, we love you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. Amen. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, 
please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.